podcast about game development and game design. My name is Scott. And I'm Tad. Uh, we're both grad students at the School of Computing at Queen's University. We help run the Game Developers Club. Uh, the Game Developers Club was started to provide an environment for students at Queen's who are interested in game development and design, but don't really know where to start. We'll be talking to people in industry and academia who work with games to hear about their experiences. You can find our club homepage at www.qgdc.ca. Our first guest is Dr. Nicholas Graham. He's a professor at Queen's University and the director of the Equus Lab. So we are here talking to Dr. Nicholas Graham, the School of Computing. Hi, thanks for taking the time to, to speak to us. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is great. So this is our first podcast. Um, Nick, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about who you are and, and what you do here at the school? So I'm a professor uh, at the School of Computing, which means that I do some teaching of courses related to game design and development, and I also have a research program over in the Equus Lab devoted to uh, the design and development of the next generation of computer games. What do you mean by that? Uh, do, do you want me to run into all of the details? of? Well, when you say next generation of games, what, what are you doing and, and what is the Equus Lab? So the Equus Lab is a graduate lab, um, mainly masters and PhD students working in the lab. Um, we also have um, some undergrad students who uh, participate either um, as summer students or some doing part-time work, um, so kind of a broad range of people involved. And we have a number of projects um, that look at different aspects of gaming, so I can run through all of those if you'd like. Sure, yeah. Okay. So one is, um, for example, our computer-aided exercise program. And the flagship project in there is um, looking at developing an exercise video game for children with cerebral palsy. And so the idea behind that is that uh, kids with cerebral palsy have increasing troubles getting around as they get older, um, often wind up moving from being able to walk to having to use canes to winding up in wheelchairs. And as this progresses, they have more and more trouble getting together with other kids to do physical activity. And this has an impact on their health. And so what we're looking at is developing a distributed world game where in order to um, interact with the game, you have to be pedaling um, a bicycling-like device. And so we've been working with a hospital in Toronto called the Holland Blurview Hospital um, on looking at um, the design of such a game, at looking at the design of the physical hardware, um, including the pedaling device that they'll be using that provides sufficient support for kids with cerebral palsy and um, looking at the design of a game that will make it fun to do exercise over a long period of time. Uh, that's one example. Um, another project we're doing is uh, with the um, Canadian Army Simulation Centre, which is based here in Kingston, um, where they do simulations involving hundreds of um, officers who are getting training before they go out into the field. And um, we're looking at making those simulations more efficient um, by allowing the people running the simulations to be using a tabletop computer. Mm. If you think of a tabletop computer, it's like the biggest iPad that you've ever seen, like in a, that, that would fit the size of an, an entire table. And if you can imagine, this is the simulation looks to the um, interactors who are running it a lot like um, a real-time strategy game. And so imagine a big tabletop real-time strategy game where they're moving around virtual units using their fingers. Um, we're also very interested in the networking underlying um, um, uh, multiplayer video games, trying to get it. So imagine the kinds of problems you have, the limitations you have with current games. Imagine you want to be able to have uh, 500 people aside in a big combat. 
imagine you want to be able to have a sword fight or a lightsaber fight where you're able to um, move in truly real time um, and, and, and see the effects of what other people are doing in real time. This is very hard to do given the limitations of current networking bandwidth and current um, networking latency. And so we're looking at techniques to get around those problems and allow you to have that kind of next level of, uh, of massive interactive game. That's great. We've, uh, we've seen some of those demos here at the school, and it's, it's been really exciting. And for me, at least, um, probably for you too, Tad, it, it's, been, it's been amazing to see that your, your job is essentially to, to do research in, in games. I mean, it's, it's pretty exciting, sort of one of the holy grails for people who are coming up. He's like, oh, you work in games full time. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you weren't always a game researcher, right? You, you started in a very different field. I, I started originally in programming language design, so that's, uh, that's going a long ways back. Yeah. Um, I think what happened was uh, I've always had an interest in games. Um, I think like a lot of people, I taught myself how to program in high school using BASIC um, because I wanted to be able to program games. And so, I mean, it goes that far back that that's where the interest has been. I spent a few years... Um, 2000 to 2004 out doing a startup company and then came back from that and was thinking that was a good opportunity to try something different. I had tenure by that point, which gives <laughs> absolutely complete academic freedom. And I thought, well, let's use it. Let's get well, into games yeah. research. <laughs> That's, uh, that actually brings up an quite interesting question. You said when you came back, you, you wanted to, to work in games, not only because you had tenure, but uh, do you think things have shifted a bit in academics that there's there's more openness to, to research in, in games and in academia? They absolutely have. Um, when I started in 2005, there weren't really that many computer science people who were willing to say they were doing research in games. Right. Mm -hmm. Some people were using games as some of their tests in other areas. Um, but to actually say, no, my, my thing is games, that's what I do, uh, That was, I think that was a bit of a step at that time. Right. Um, but now, it's, you, you can hardly find a university where there isn't a, some kind of game program and, and some interest in having people working in games. So things have changed a lot over the last five years. That's great. Yeah. I remember that um, a few years back, it, when you saw that someone had studied in games, it was often one of the, the smaller trade schools, and it was hard to evaluate the quality of those programs, but just like in in the definition of software engineering, we've come a long way in, in game design, and there are actually processes and, and methods to, to do it properly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. That, that actually leads into another discussion. That, um, people ask me this a fair bit, you know, is it a good idea to go and do a program in game design? And um, I actually am pretty hesitant about such programs. And there's a number of reasons. First of all, when you get into um, the game industry, you, you have to think the game development teams are, for, for large titles, are often 100 people working on it. You've got to imagine, you don't get to go in and say, well, I'm going to do a little bit of artwork today and I'm going to do a bit of programming tomorrow. It's, it's, you go in with a very, very focused job and, and um, that's what you'll be doing. And so there's a bit of a risk with some of these game design programs. That I call them breadth programs, but they teach you a wide set of topics, you know, kind of ranging from sound engineering to modeling to art to a little bit of programming, but you don't necessarily become expert in anything. Hmm. And I think that can be a real barrier to getting hired in the industry. Sure. Yeah. There's another thing that I worry about a little bit is a lot of people go into the game development industry and don't necessarily stay very long. 
Um, it's, it's, it can be a brutal industry to work in. It can have very long hours. That's not uniformly true and things do seem to be improving. But it doesn't, it isn't necessarily an industry you want to be in for your whole life. And so if you decide, you know, building games is great. I'm always going to play games, but I'd rather earn my living doing some other kind of software development. If you go walking into TD Bank, for example, with your degree in game development, I'm not sure that's the best thing. So, you know, certainly when we've looked at developing this kind of program here at Queen's, we've been very sure to try and address two things. One is to make sure that you get as strong or even stronger background in general computer science and general software engineering that, um, that you would get in any of our programs and also to make sure that the title of the degree um, remains um, a software-oriented degree, but where you can where you can flag the specialization. So that's what we've been working towards in our program design. Can you can you describe the program a little bit? Because that's that's new as of this year, right? The School of Computing is introducing a, a gaming stream. Is that right? I don't even. Well, it's not even there yet. Oh. Um, we're working towards uh, building it in. So the the grand vision, and again, I want to emphasize, it's not there yet. Right. Um, but the grand division, so we have our software design um, program, and this would be an option within software design. So it would be a special flavor within the software design program mm -hmm. where you would get the degree software design, but plus this extra designation of saying um, with a specialization in, in, um, in game development. And so what we're bringing in now is this year we're bringing in the first course which is going to be a second year course in um, game design. Then next year we'll be bringing in a third year course in game architecture, and the following year bringing in um, a third course which will be um, in uh, game engine design. Um, so actually looking at the real internals of how, how you build your own game engine rather than just using a game engine that, that other people have built for you. Right. There's also going to be a fourth year project course um, similar to our 499 project course that will be specifically um, oriented towards developing your own game. Right. So the idea is that kind of from second year on there will be there will be content contributing towards this option. But at the same time, um, you will be getting as deep um, a computer science education as it's possible to get anywhere. That's great. No, I didn't, that goes back to your earlier point in that you you still want a computer science degree, just with, maybe with some specialization in, in, like you said, game engine design yeah. or something like that, which a normal computer scientist or software engineer wouldn't, wouldn't normally get. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that's game development and game design has a has a history of being viewed as a real hackish type of thing, where where people will stumble together into a group and throw a game together and release it to the wild, and it is what it is. But it's really do you think that industry is, is learning from the examples that academia has set then? And do you think they're trying to actually learn from the process models that have been determined and, and are, are maturing as an industry that way? I think there's, there's no question that the industry is maturing. Where they're choosing to get their information from, I would say. But certainly when you have games that um, have budgets in the tens of millions of dollars and multi-year uh, development cycles, that's serious business. And you absolutely need to have um, a strong process in place. And these processes are being codified. There is um, a great deal of interest in agile development, um, particularly based around a process called Scrum. And uh, this seems to be taking industry by storm. Um, but yeah, the, the teams have a very careful structure, um, very careful delineation of responsibilities. 
um, a lot of focus on quality assurance as you work through um, the uh, the development process. Yeah. A lot of focus on early prototyping and being able to get a sense of whether the game's going to be fun before too many resources have been committed. Sure. Yeah. It's a very serious software engineering endeavor. Yeah. Um, earlier on, you talked about the research going on in the Equus Lab, and and uh, we kind of asked you about. Um, you know, academic research in games is becoming more popular and more accepted, it seems. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about what you think the role is between uh, academic game research and what's going on in industry? Is Are, are they collaborating? Um, I, I think they're, they're two different worlds, but how, how, how are they working together? I think this is something that's evolving. And um, part of what you have to think about is, so we talk about game development and game design as being one big homogeneous thing, and it's, it's far from being that. Right. And so different communities within the research community can contribute in different ways. Mm-hmm. So focusing on the more technical areas, probably the biggest success has been from graphics, um, right. where graphics researchers, you know, the top researchers will be publishing at SIGGRAPH, mm-hmm. and the gaming people go to SIGGRAPH, and they take part as well, and there's a very tight cooperation. Um, I think you got some good uh, examples of work coming through the AI community. And the AI community, they have their own conferences as well, like AAAI, which, uh, you know, which would be their flagship conference. And, um, and so there's you know, increasing interest in, in AI techniques. Um, in gaming, as the computers and consoles become faster and faster, you can do more and more sophisticated AI, and therefore there's some flow through in that direction. Um, where I think things have been a bit slower to flow have been, for example, in the a lot of people have gotten interested in games in the human-computer interaction area and in the um, computer-supported cooperative work area. And um, yet you go to those conferences, you don't see a lot of game developers showing up to those conferences right. yet. Um, there's been quite a bit of interest in developing special gaming-related conferences, and I think those are... Um, those are still relatively new, and it's going to be interesting to see how well they take root. And again, um, whether they serve as venues for, for tight collaboration with industry. But this is something, it's, a, it's an evolving story. Yeah. I, I guess the, um, like I said, uh, industry is probably all about, you know, the bottom line, whereas as academic researchers, you're, you're kind of, yeah, you're a lot of a little bit more freedom. So um, do, do you think there's opportunities there? Like the, the CP Kids project, which you talk about, right. that's obviously a not-for-profit kind of project. And, right. and do you see a lot of opportunities there for, for academic research? Well, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of people who work in academics um, in areas like this extra gaming area, so trying to um, help people improve their physical fitness through gaming. And there's a lot of interest even in the, um, the kind of health-related areas. So there tends to be work with hospitals, even with insurance companies, because insurance companies like their, their, um, their subscribers to be more healthy and therefore requiring fewer payouts. Um, and another area that has a lot of interest is what's called serious games. Um, so games where, the, where fun is not the ultimate intent. Um, our, our example I talked about with the um, Army Simulation Center would be an example of that. Another huge area within serious games is educational games, where um, the point of the game is to learn something about, let's say, history or math or whatever. Um, and all of those areas have received relatively little um, interest from from companies because, you know, ultimately they like big markets rather than niche markets. Mm-hmm. Um, Nevertheless, it becomes something that's an, uh, 
we've certainly had more luck in collaborations with industry with small companies that are involved in these sorts of niche areas and with the hospital that we're working with now, for example, um, rather than with the big companies who are really very focused on the next six months rather than what they might see five years down the road. Sure. Yeah. In a lot of cases, the, the earlier examples that I heard from years ago uh, of industry caring about academia was almost as a way to get interns to foster into, into future employees. Whereas now it sounds like, as you said, things are maturing and people are starting to take a little bit more notice, certainly in the smaller companies, but yeah. starting to see that there is this academic world and there's a lot of, a lot of really neat stuff that's coming out of it. Yeah. So, um, so let's say that I am a, uh, a high school student or, uh, or an undergrad right now who's not, not in games, but someone who wants to move in that direction. Um, what would your recommendations be if, if I want to get into games as an, as a possible academic research area? As an academic research area. Yeah, maybe maybe to study it a little more rigorously and to, to be aware of how to get started in games. So I, I think the the first thing is to be academically strong. So make sure you're doing well in your courses. Make sure you have a, a strong background in the sorts of skills you would need to carry out the research. And so that's the real basics if you're going into a computer science-related area. Uh, would be to be a strong programmer, to, to have um, strong math fundamentals, um, even a little bit of physics, you know, the sorts of things that will allow you to, to work effectively. At the same time, um, show off your interests in games. You know, if you, wanna, if you ultimately want a job where you're going to be building games or working with games, um, then show me what you built. You know, right, right. if you, I think this is something that a lot of people think they want to work in game development because they like playing games. And actually the two activities are really different things, very, yeah. very different things. And, and if to you it seems like a chore to go and write a mod for Neverwinter Nights, for example, to show off your storytelling capabilities, then maybe you're not in the right field. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's not for you after all. Um, but yeah, build games. Um, there are so many tools out there that make it easy to get started nowadays. Um, one we've been using um, a lot lately is XNA Studio, which um, is a set of tools that allow you to build games for uh, the PC and also for the Xbox. They're completely free. It's very high-level programming, so you can knock things together very quickly. Um, a lot of people have enjoyed using Unity, where there's also a free version that you can get as a student that, uh, that you can play with. Um, and there are a lot of games which provide the opportunity to write your own mods, and those get you into programming, but also give you the ability to put things together very quickly. It used to be not that many years ago that it was really hard to build any kind of game at all, but that's not really true now. Another thing that's really big and also is very impressive is to get involved in um, a, one of these open source game development projects. And there are so many of these kicking around, you start looking in, in any kind of game development forums, and you'll find people putting together projects, or even projects that, that are currently, that currently exist and are popular. And that's a way to get involved in, in development. Um, obviously, it's unpaid, but it can be high profile, because if, if you get your game out there and people like it, then it's a good way of being seen. Yeah. So that's great, yeah, because working on a large project and working on an established project is exactly the type of experience you'll need if, you, if your end right. game is, is going to a, a bigger company yeah. um, to work on a team like that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Can you maybe talk about, uh, I, I, I know you're not, uh, you don't have much experience in the games industry, but I know 
from from knowing you, some of your students have gone off to to work in the games industry either after they graduated or an internship. Um, has industry told you anything about what they're specifically looking for from your students? Yes, yes, and um, and this comes back to some of the same things I was saying about having deep technical education. So I'm again, I'm, I'm assuming computer science students. If you right. want to go off and be a three D modeler, I don't have a lot useful to tell you because <laughs> um, I just don't know about that. But um, deep technical knowledge. So it's people who go off to companies to to do um, to get jobs in um, in game development can expect a very rigorous um, interviewing process, and it's all about your ability to program in C for example. Um, so good knowledge of algorithms, good knowledge of programming, tremendously important. Um, the um, I can give a couple of anecdotal things. Um, I, I talked with a guy from a company in Toronto that does racing games, and he said one of their interview questions is is um, is really all about numerical analysis. Um, they're looking at quick ways of uh, computing integrals, for example, mm -hmm. um, might be the sorts of questions they would ask. And um, just because that to them is a good indicator of how strong someone is as a, as a developer. You almost get the impression they just want good developers. They don't care necessarily whether you've taken a game program or not. They, they right. really want you to be a strong developer. Um, Certainly, focus on the on the kinds of languages that you might use, which is a very broad set nowadays. Um, but uh, I, I don't know, Scott, if you'd be if you'd be agreeing with this with your EA background. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's it's pretty wise to have at least a pretty decent understanding of C, C plus plus. Yeah, um, because it's still very very widely used in industry. Definitely. Yeah. Having said that, other languages have become very popular as well. Um, C sharp in a lot of cases, um, Python. Um, uh, are, are two languages I keep hearing a lot about um, that, that people will be using. Even Minecraft was developed in Java. Was it? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, in addition, again, having a portfolio that you can show that shows that you have a passion for games and that you can really build stuff. And um, that, uh, that just means finding the time to actually be developing games and get some stuff finished. You know, there's a lot of us who, who start and kind of have an idea and get a little bit into it, and in the end, there's nothing to show, and then kind of get bored, and then go on to the next one. You really have to bring things through to completion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's it's nice to hear you say that. One of the the things that we keep hearing again and again about building a, a an impressive looking game design resume to get into the games industry is this catch twenty two situation of of writing games. You have to write games to get into games, but the, the bar to entry, like you said earlier, is, is so much lower now. You you can actually pick up uh, some sort of engine and, and build a mod for it, or you can you can build something sort of game creator application if you're not comfortable programming yet. Um, the key is really just to write those games and, and complete projects, and it looks great. And I can I can give one example as well, which is um, I believe it's still the case, but if it's if it's not the case, it's only changed very recently. But Bioware, who you know, I think we know them from Dragon Age and Mass Effect and all of these. One of their games from actually a few years ago was called Neverwinter Nights, which um, had its own scripting language, its own visual uh, level development environment that, um, that shipped with the product. And you can pick up Neverwinter Nights for, for dollars nowadays. Mm -hmm. Their policy is they will not even interview you unless you can show them a, a module you built in Neverwinter Nights. Oh, huh. And that's just, that's just to get in the door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's a C-like language, interpreted C-like language that they use for programming. Yeah. 
Another thing is that um, the big companies all do internships, and um, and so that's something to really look into. I've, I've heard this actually from a number of companies that they say they really will not consider people for full-time employment normally if they haven't done at least one internship with them so that they, so that they know them. Yeah. And um, so get involved with that early. Yeah. There are a lot of places in, in Canada specifically that are, are starting to open studios and are, are bringing in a lot of students. So it's nice to see the market is it's not dead yet. You know, it's still, it's still growing quite, quite healthily. So. The other thing is also be open to what you want to do. So there's this... I suspect, um, you know, lots of people want to get involved in the big AAA projects, um, uh, you know, like the Dragon Age and Mass Effect games or going to work on World of Warcraft or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a ton of kinds of games that are that are emerging and that, that are not like that. You know, um, there's a huge interest around Facebook games, for example, yeah. um, which are programmed using much lower level technology. Um, and that can be a way of, of, of getting in as well. Yeah. You know, you kind of, you might want to look at the areas that are growing versus the areas that are shrinking. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say then for a, for someone who's looking to get uh, into developing games, they should write some games? It sounds, <laughs> it sounds, it sounds straightforward, but, yeah. but give it a, give it a try and, and you might be surprised yeah. at how, how easy it can be. Yeah. There's another thing, you know, to, to do to prepare for interviews, which can take years. Um, but again, these interviews, as I was saying, so many of them are um, are short algorithmic problems where you're to be, you know, writing up some answers in C++ or maybe other programming languages. That's actually, if you just walk into an interview like that cold, odds are you're not going to do that well. Um, so there are things you can do that will really help. Uh, joining the ACM programming team is huge because that's what they do. They have practice sessions all year long where the practice sessions are really very similar to what you would get in a job interview. Um, there's another site called Top Coder, um, which has um, regular competitions. Or, and you know, as a student, you can get into them for free and there are little prizes and so on. And doing the competitions that they do in Top Coder, again, is, is very similar sorts of stuff to what you would see in a job interview. And um, and so getting into the mindset of doing, spending some time doing those sorts of things are, uh, are, are going to be hugely beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not just a, an easy path to getting into, into games. It's not quite so hacky anymore. You have to really be on top of technology. But it's a, it's a, like a lifelong learning process, right? Technology is always upgrading, so be, be aware of stuff like that. But not just the technology. It's also the ability to share sure, yeah. algorithmic uh, solutions quickly. No, you're right, yeah. Yeah. Do you have more questions, Ed? I, I, I think that's it. I, I can't think of uh, anything else. Uh, I, 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 all your information has been very interesting. I really enjoyed well, it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Dr. Graham. Yeah. Look forward to the, uh, the club starting up again in the fall. That's yeah. right, yeah. Well, we're going to get you in to talk for one of those, too. Yes. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Okay, thanks. Thank thanks. Hi there, and welcome to Feature Complete. A uh, podcast about game development and game design. <laughs> Keep going. I told it. No, I told it. Um, Testing. One, two. Hello. I seem lower than you whenever I talk. Can you come closer? Uh, yeah, you should. Can you say that again? What? Pretty, <laughs> come closer to me, Ted. Okay. <laughs> Our first guest is Doppler. I think I messed that up. <laughs> My body is ready. <laughs>